Shalom, and welcome to In the Beginning. My name is Shmuel Bowman, and I am a Torah scribe. Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the biblical month of Av, is soon approaching. This is a very unique, very serious day in the Jewish calendar because it tells the story of the destruction of the first temple in Jerusalem and the second temple in Jerusalem, the exile and dispersion, the long, long night of the Jewish people. It's a story that teaches us that when the Jewish nation is not united, that when we are divided, that our enemy sneaks in, comes in, and knows exactly how to destroy us. See, we can do anything when we're one. We can do anything when we're united. And that's what this day is teaching us. It's a very, very powerful message. It's teaching us that the reasons why we weren't united, the idea of sinat chinam, baseless hatred, that that reason is a reason enough that if the temple were around right now, you know what? It would be destroyed again. What a crazy idea. What a sad idea. And why? Because the opposite of baseless hatred, ahavat chinam, I would guess boundless or baseless love, we're not there yet. We're just not there yet. And this is our goal. This is our goal right now, especially now as we approach, approach Tisha B'Av, to figure out how we fight hatred. And the answer is by bringing more love into the world. That's the simple message. How do we do that? Do you need to be a world leader? Do you need to be the head of some large, you know, organization? Do you need to be able to have a, uh, you know, a podcast that reaches millions? No. Simple act of reaching out to another human being, showing them love, showing them they mean something, showing them you care. That's what it takes. That's, that's it. That's the recipe. So I have a very special guest today. Somebody who really exemplifies the idea of ahavat chinam, just giving, just reaching out, helping another fellow human being, just to show that we can fight hatred with love. So stay tuned immediately following this message for what I think you will find a most interesting and insightful conversation. Looking for a special gift for a wedding, birthday, bar, or bat mitzvah? Anniversary corporate, wellness, or condolence, Shmuel will create a Hebrew name on parchment in the traditional Torah scribal form. The parchment is framed by an original design paper cut depicting the unforgettable Jerusalem skyline. The paper cut is available in three beautiful colors, midnight blue, burgundy wine, and desert beige. Please visit our website, www.sacredscrolls.net. So we're going to begin. You know, our wisdom teachers teach us um, that if you save one life, right, you save the life of one person, it's as if you've saved an entire world. It's a very, very, very powerful idea. The idea that each and every individual matters. It's also really a deep, deep teaching, an ancient teaching that, uh, it doesn't require large groups of people. It doesn't require nations. It comes, comes down to an individual, one single person who can make a difference and can say, I'm, I'm, I want to help somebody else. I want to help other people. 
this is a very ancient idea. And I, I would even go as far as to say it's the cornerstone, cornerstone to civilization. Um, so with that in mind, I have uh, with me today a very, very special guest, Stephen Bean. And for full disclosure, I need to tell you that he's my father-in-law. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. So what I'd like to do is um, you, of all people, can really speak to the point of volunteering and making a difference. Um, you, I'd like to, if you could please share what you have to say about your experience in volunteering, any stories that come up, any anything that that we could be able to relate to and say, wow, this is something where one person can really make a difference. Please. Oh yeah, I um, you know I have a, uh, uh, a specialty of uh, study that I uh, called clinical psychology, and I am actually mm-hmm. working on my doctorate in that field right now. But I worked for uh, in order to apply my what I've learned uh, in the healthcare area. I worked at a very large hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan, called Beaumont Hospital, and. Um, I worked in four departments, actually. I worked in the emergency department providing comfort care uh, to people who came into emergency because they, uh, one of the reasons they came to emergency was that they just weren't particularly comfortable. Uh, that could have resulted from many different, uh, you know, causes. Uh, I also worked in palliative care, and I also worked in orthopedic surgery, and I also worked in hospice. Uh, so I had I um, I have a wide gamut of um, of uh, experience. The hospital I worked in, Royal Oak Hospital, um, uh, Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, uh, is a nationally ranked uh, hospital. It's uh, it's a huge hospital. It's got mm-hmm. 1,131 beds. It's a nonprofit. It's an acute care teaching hospital. It's a level one trauma hospital. So we get every kind of a case. We did get every kind of a case. Um, and it um, provides all kinds of uh, uh, care to the uh, Royal Oak region and Metro Detroit. A lot of people don't understand the differences between, for example, palliative care uh, and hospice. Right. That's uh, that's. A, I'm, I'm glad you're going to define that. Well, hospice is comfort care without curative intent. Uh, the patient no longer has curative options. Um, and has chosen not to pursue treatment because the side effects outweigh the benefits. Palliative care is comfort care with or without curative intent. Uh, mm. the, median, the median duration of a palliative care, by the way, is 34 days. Uh, that, wow. that, that, that's about it. And hospice care focuses on the care, comfort, and quality of life of a person with serious illness who's approaching the end of his life. At some point, it may not be possible to cure a serious illness or a patient may choose not to undergo treatments. Hospice is designed for the for this particular situation. Does hospice mean death is near? Actually, it means on living as fully as comfortably as possible during the time you have left. People who qualify for hospice are usually expected to die within six months or less, but that doesn't mean dying uh, is their focus. Most people live much longer than six months. So I can give you some interesting examples of yes. um, sort of funny and not funny uh, in each area. In, in emergency, we did not find too many um, uh, examples of things that were funny, although I did run into a couple uh, who brought their teenage daughter in 
who had uh, numerous broken bones, and she was waiting to get a room, and she had broken her bones by taking a tour to Israel, and she, she decided to climb on a cliff, and she unfortunately fell off the cliff. Oh, my God. Numerous bones. So my comment to her was, aside from, aside from the um, trip up the mountain, uh, how'd you enjoy Israel? And she thought that was pretty pretty funny. Uh, the <laughs> right. parents thought it. The parents didn't think it was that funny, uh, and she thought it was relatively funny. But she said, um, "Please don't tell her any more jokes because they're very painful." So uh, that, <laughs> that's that, great. That, that that was emer- that that was emergency. I also I also walked around a lot and, and interacted with most of the patients, um, and I had a, a uniform that I wore. And on which I displayed all my awards and the amount of time I put there, I had, had volunteered for a thousand hours. And um, I think my involvement there made their lives a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get to palliative care and uh, palliative care was interesting because you can talk to the patients and find out, you know, what, what brings you in, I think is the phrase, uh, what seems to be bothering you and so on. And then I, um, I went down by the window one day and I ran into a guy standing there wearing a palliative care patient outfit. And I said, so um, in so many words, uh, what's up? And he said, well, let me tell you what I'm doing here. I happen to love beer and I tried to get a beer here, but uh, they, you know, obviously don't serve alcoholic beverages. So mm-hmm. he said, I, what I did was I, um, I timed the last visit that the nurse would come and check on me, and then I would um, figure out how long it would take for her to come back. And then I had my friends waiting outside in a getaway vehicle, and I uh, I would scurry down the stairs, jump in the getaway vehicle, and we'd hang out at the bar for about an hour and a half. And I had a couple of beers, and I felt like myself again, you know. And then they'd drive right. me back off, and I'd walk up to. I'd, I'd walk up the stairs and I'd get back in the bed and here would come the nurse and she says, how are you feeling now? I said, never better. And she said, good, you seem to look better too. And so the, and this guy, uh, so I said, you think that's a good idea? He says, it's, it's the best idea I could come up with under the circumstances. That's amazing. Then, that's, a, that's, uh, that's absolutely, to, uh, no, it's amazing if you think about it. And here's, I, I like the fact that, that here's someone who has confided in you where Whereas he is, in a sense, uh, circumventing and kind of sneaking around the the system, and here he is. He's actually he's opening up to you, and he's as a confidant. Yeah, I have that uh, quality of uh, people will tell me anything if I approach them properly, and so I never I never told anybody. Uh, actually, this is the first time I've ever mentioned it. And, Amazing. The, um, and then I went up to orthopedic surgery, and one of my jobs in orthopedic surgery uh, was to deal with people who had just had hip replacements. Uh, shoulder surgery, um, um, knee replacements, and so on. It was a very fancy uh, uh, ward, actually, and they had their own menu, and they could order anything they wanted to any time. And my, one of my jobs was to check on people, make sure that the medication was taking effect and that they were happy with everything that was done, and I would fill out a form. So I walked into one lady's room, and the lady was uh, laying there, and I said to her, so... So let me ask you a question. Is everything, you know, all right? Did you enjoy your visit? Are the medications uh, mitigating any discomfort that you might have? And she said, uh, I do have one major complaint, um, a seriously major complaint. Uh, she said, you know, 
I, I happen to like uh, uh, chicken vegetable soup, and mm. um, I order it all the time. And um, one of my big complaints is, and I, and I intend to write a letter to the president of the university about of the of the hospital about this because I I feel that uh, it's very important. Uh, I suppose it is very important if you're you know fairly well off and relatively spoiled and and get your way all the time. And I said, so what, what is that? I'm going to jot that down. And she said, um, there's never enough vegetables in the chicken vegetable soup. It almost comes off as a broth. Now, I, if I wanted broth, I would order broth. And uh, I've told my husband about it and other people, and they're as aghast as I am. Well, well, that's because they have the same background you do. So in any event, that was what about the only funny thing that happened um, uh, in orthopedic surgery. That's good. Uh, that's a good, that's a good then, one. Then we get to hospice. Now, not, there's nothing funny about hospice. No. Um, there, there are things interesting about hospice. One of the things that I find interesting about hospice is that one of the last functions to go in, uh, in when someone is going through end-of-life experiences is the hearing function. Uh, they may not be able to see you. They may not be able to feel things. Uh, however, the hearing function tends to remain until last. And I thought I, I thought I would. And I was talking to a patient one time who mm-hmm. was basically unconscious. They they administer generally two drugs. One is morphine for pain, and um, the other one that they that they gave was um, um, any, anything having to do with uh, discomfort and uh, uh, right. and. And, and sedation. So right. um, I said um, I was on the right side of the bed and the patient was had his eyes closed, was looking forward, um, not responding to anything I said. But so I decided to, with, without his knowledge, I would go to the other side of the bed. And mm-hmm. when I went to the other side of the bed and continuing discussing things with him, he turned his head toward me. And so that, that proved to me uh, in an empirical manner that um, that that's in fact the case. So the message I have for the listening audience is when you're visiting somebody that's in, in hospice, be very careful what you say. Be careful how very, very careful how you discuss his or her case, his or her person or his or her condition. Treat the person as though he can hear everything or she can hear everything you're saying, because in fact, they can. So it's, it's right. something there's something to be learned. There is something to be learned from that. You know, hospice's focus is on essentially on on care, comfort, and quality of life. A person with a serious illness who's approaching the end of life. At some point, uh, it may not be possible to cure a serious illness. A patient may choose not to undergo certain treatments. Hospice is designed specifically for that situation. Right. The it, uh, it's hospice hospice is a very is a very um, what you would it was sort of a somber area. Uh, the visitors are very somber, and um, the, um, the it, it is what it is. I mentioned before tertiary care too. A lot of people don't understand what tertiary care is. Yeah, what, highly, what is what is that? Tertiary care is a highly specialized medical care used over an extended period of time that involves advanced and complex procedures and treatments performed by medical specialists in, in a special state of the art facility. Uh, compare. Um, primary care and secondary care. Uh, it's a, fo- it's a form of secondary care. It can, it can involve things that are not generally done. Coronary artery bypass, severe burn treatments, 
uh, neurosurgery and dialysis. Uh, so is at, at Beaumont Hospital, uh, being a level one trauma hospital, we could treat virtually anything. People came in by every means possible. Uh, they came in by helicopter. They mm. came in by a van. They came by walking in. They came by being carried in. It, it is quite an experience to, to work in those areas. A lot of people, people wonder what, they don't see it because they have no experience with it, what end of life really is about. Mm-hmm. And what, mm-hmm. what, what, what are the end of life signs? What are the final days and hours like? Uh, they, they wonder about it. They, they sometimes are very fearful about it sure. um, because they haven't seen it and they envision it to be far more dramatic than it really is. But I'm going to tell you what it is. Okay. And I've, I've seen it numerous times. Uh, number one, breathing difficulties. Patients may go for long periods of time without breathing, followed up by quick breaths. Uh, drop in the body temperature and blood pressure, less desire for food and drink. They really are not interested in, in drinking anything or eating and changing in changes in sleeping patterns and some degree of confusion or withdrawal, depending upon what is um, uh, uh, what we refer to as etiologic causative in, uh, in their condition. Mm-hmm. And, and so my, my volunteering at, uh, at Beaumont Hospital was, was very rewarding. I got to know a lot of very interesting, very interesting people, a lot of very famous people nationally, internationally, uh, those names I cannot discuss. And I was able to have long and interesting conversations with these people who I'd seen in the movies on television in places of that, of that nature, heard them on the radio. And they were very happy to, to talk with me. And, mm-hmm. and usually they had an entourage and I would I would uh, talk with I would be accepted into the entourage because I was regarded as a, as a part of the healthcare giving process. So I, I met a I met a lot of very interesting, well known people, um, a lot a lot of people um, with with a wide range of personalities and reactions to their illness, and um, it was a very worthwhile experience. The only reason that I stopped volunteering mm-hmm. my eight or nine years. And then I, I rose to became a trainer, a trainer. And um, you train you trained volunteers. I trained volunteers, those that could right. remain with with the program. Mm-hmm. And one 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 of the most interesting experiences I had is that is that uh, one of my jobs was to uh, take people up to what was called L and D, L and D, labor L&D. and delivery. Okay, so labor and delivery. And these are women who were either mothers already, so they had some semblance of what was going on or they were non-mothers, this was the first time, and they were virtually scared to death uh, and all kinds of nervous. The husband was following behind, and he was usually more nervous than the, than the woman in the chair. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would put the woman in the chair, and I would do everything I could to, to make her you know, feel, feel comfortable, um, sort of amuse her. And explain to her, you know, your life is about to change dramatically. You thought you thought your life changed when you got married. No, you didn't happen then. It's going. <laughs> it is going to happen now. That is for this sure. Will, this will change your life. Oh yeah, forever. Oh yeah. And uh, so, by, by the way, are you going to have a boy or a girl? And they would say, well, you know, the test came back. I'm going to have a little boy. And so well, that's nice. And then you'll you'll get used to that and and so on. And and don't get nervous because we're going to be there very soon. You know what I found? Uh, and I and and because they said, oh, my God, this is painful. Oh, this is so painful. This is so painful. I'm so hyper. 
I'm so nervous. I said, let me tell you, I've been doing these L&D runs for a long time. And um, uh, I'm known as the L&D guy. And I can, I can give you a tip. Here's what you should do. I don't know if you know this, and a lot of people don't is, but the motion of the wheels in the chair I'm pushing mm-hmm. creates, creates a, a, a system in your body that tends to reduce discomfort, labor, labor problems, and so on. And if you really let it affect you, I think you're going to find you feel a lot better. Wow. And um, so most of the time they say, you know what? That's true. You're right. I said, well, you know, no one's ever said I was wrong. Um, except my <laughs> wife. She, my wife says I'm wrong, um, you know, not in every conversation, but in a number of them anyway. And she's probably right. And I am probably wrong. Um, That's amazing. So advice. I, I, would, amazing. I, I would do the labor and delivery runs all the time. And um, because they people would come in and under certain circumstances, they didn't qualify for emergency. They were really more of a candidate for labor and delivery. And then I would tell them, okay, we're going to, we're going to go down the hall. And by the way, this gift shop on your left, I'm not trying to sell you a gift, but this <laughs> gift shop on your left. Okay. Happens to be one of the best gift shops I've ever seen. I'm talking, I am talking quality merchandise and I'm, I'm telling you, and I, I particularly you, the husband and uh, what's your, what is your first Morton? Okay. Morton, listen, uh, when your wife is in, you know, in the hospital after he has a baby, I'm I'm suggesting you shop here. I do not receive a commission. I just want to. I don't want to see you get ripped off. And Amazing. so this is where. Then I say, okay, we're at the we're at the elevator. We're going to go up three flights now. I'm going to push you in first, uh, so don't worry about it if you if you have any, uh, any kind of problems being in an elevator. I'm going to be right there with you, and you're going to face the wall. But it's only for two or three minutes because I, I want to be able to pull you out rather than push you out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you'll find that is easier on me. So um, that was that was my experience in, in all the areas of, uh, of my volunteering. And um, I um, found it to be very, very rewarding. Uh, learned a lot about a lot of medicine. Um, got to apply my uh, therapeutic uh, psychotherapeutic skills. And um, I got to know, uh, you know, I got to know a whole lot of people. In the hospital, this hospital employed hundreds and hundreds of people, and uh, the emergency department was extremely busy all the time. And um, um, the last thing I wanted to bring to your attention is uh, that is uh, the mother brought her son in, Mm -hmm. and the son appeared to have a a broken arm. And the mother, instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry you broke your arm, you're going to feel better, I got you to the hospital, she's screaming at him all day long, up and down the hall, I told you to play tennis, you care too small to play football, you're not playing again, you're a tennis player, you got that? And that was the end of that conversation, because uh, she said you shouldn't be playing football in the first place or we wouldn't be here. So... um, those are my experiences at uh, at Beaumont Hospital, and if you have any other questions on the subject, sure. I'd be more well, than happy to answer them. Well, wow, wow, wow! What a what an insight into uh, volunteering uh, in a major hospital and all the different departments. I think this you've given us a, a real inside peek into what's going on. Yeah, I do have a couple of questions. So one that comes to mind is why did you get into volunteering in the first place? What motivated you to Pick up yourself from your very, very busy life and show up there and say, hi, here I am. What's the genesis of that? Well, I, I thought I thought it was very fulfilling emotionally for me. Uh, it fit into my training in clinical psychology. 
um, I, I found it to be very, uh, very uh, um, fulfilling experience to the elite to alleviate anybody's discomfort. And if I could make that type of a difference, uh, I felt like I, I had done my job. It just mm-hmm. to the even to the point where are you warm enough? And they mm-hmm. say, well, I'm, re- I'm really I'm really sort of cold. And I said, sit tight. Don't go anywhere. I know you won't. And I will um, I'll be back with a warm blanket or uh, I'm thirsty. Oh. And I say, don't don't go anywhere or I'm hungry. And sometimes well, you always have to get permission to feed a patient because they may be undergoing tests and you don't want that to change. And they said, uh, I'd finally get an approval. And I'd say, do you have any, what kind of food do you have here? I said, well, what I'm going to suggest in your case, and I, and I, and I'm a believer in this and I do use the product myself. I, I, it is my opinion that they have the best, uh, uh, chicken salad sandwich in Oakland County. And, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling you to make a reservation Saturday night, uh, to come back, uh, for the chicken salad sandwich. But I have found that in my words, you just can't go wrong with a warm blanket and a chicken salad sandwich. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, they, that, that, so that's... they, they thought that they, they, they thought that was hysterically funny. And then I would bring them the chicken salad sandwich and they would say, you know what? You're right. I said, you know, we, we don't lie here at emergency. Mm, mm. Th- that, that's, that's gotta be a slogan, right? You can't go wrong with a, with a blanket and a chicken salad sandwich. And I think it really speaks to the point <laughs> that, you know, you, you, uh, you don't need to, you know, it doesn't take, it's something simple, uh, seemingly simple, which can be so life-affirming and life-changing, that blanket, the difference between having it and not having it, being able to have that sandwich, right? We, it, it, this, this can make such a difference. And who knows, perhaps you can give that person um, more uh, encouragement to, to hang on a little bit longer. You know, you, you described some of the situations that you've witnessed, and some of them sound to be honest with you, quite uh, depressing watching people at the end of the days. What did you do? What was your personal strategy for staying upbeat and positive? Uh, that was my strategy to stay upbeat and positive. I saw somebody on a stretcher that had just got, uh, you know, run down by a bus or mm-hmm. whatever. And they had, uh, you know, had um, what we call multi comorbidities and mm-hmm. they had everything was everything was hurting and so forth and so on. And I would talk to them about things other than their accident. Um, and uh, I would do the best I could to, to uh, alleviate the, the seriousness of their problem by explaining to them that, you know what, you're in the right hospital for exactly what you have. Mm-hmm. We have highly experienced practitioners. You will get the best care possible. Uh, if there's anything that I can do for you, whenever you see me, uh, flag me down. I'm happy to do anything that can make your stay here, as they say, more pleasant. And I would I would take their mind off it. I I wouldn't indicate things such as, boy, I'll bet that hurts. Um, Mm. Or I would or I wouldn't say, you know, so you broke your femur. Not a good thing. Um, I, I would I would just say whatever you have, we have all seen many times before Uh, you're in good hands and um, um, no one's going to ignore you. And uh, you'll get the best, most appropriate and prompt care. If someone says, how come, how come I have to wait longer than other people? Then I say, well, you're here because you 
stubbed your toe uh, and you thought it might be broken. But there's a lot of people here with life-threatening illnesses, and we tend to place them in order of severity. So no one's really ignoring you. It's really sort of a compliment to you that you're going to be okay. We know you're going to be okay, uh, but you need to know why we're doing it. And it's oftentimes not explained fully, but that's, that's, the, uh, that's the reason. And so a lot of times I would bump into people on the street or I would bump into people in a store and they'd say, hey, you, you took care of me in, it, uh, in, in Beaumont. I, I was telling all my friends about you, how much, how much nicer you made my stay. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was always a, it was always a very worthwhile um, experience for me. Um, and there was no money involved. You got, I, the amount of pay I got was nothing. Uh, do you want to, then nobody offered it. You're not allowed right. to accept it. Right. Uh, when I would, when I would take people out to their car that was usually waiting for them, they would want, they would, it, it, they had a tendency to uh, offer a tip. And I, I would say, no, 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 no. Your, your happiness is tip enough. We, we don't ever accept anything from patients and nice. so forth and so on. So, um, yeah. that was, uh, that was basically it. If I saw a patient who I said, how did you happen to get here? And mm-hmm. they said, well, I, I drove myself. I said, well, your car's in the parking lot then, and you're in a wheelchair last I looked. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. And I'm not, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wheel you out to your car. We're going to make sure that car started, got warmed up, and then I'm going to disappear back into the, into the guts of the hospital. And uh, they said, oh, wow, I was really worried how I was going to get to the car. I said, your worries are over. Because I'm going to take you to the car, and I would do a, I would do a, a lot of those extra things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for patients, and um, um, the, that that's what uh, that's the difference. Um, yes. You know yes. the uh, that 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 the total difference is is what do you do beyond what you're supposed to do? Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. Uh, and, yeah. and 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 I did, and um, I I I my supervisor uh, you know explained to me that. Uh, the, how much I was valued at the hospital and uh, because of, of the reports they had heard uh, from uh, former patients. What advice is our last question here today? What, what advice would you give to anybody who's thinking about contemplating the idea, maybe volunteering in a hospital might be a good idea. Uh, what, what initial advice would you give them if they're thinking about going in that direction? Well, one, one of the things in a hospital is that there are probably two or 300 volunteers at, at Beaumont Hospital. They don't all do the same thing. There's transport volunteers. There's people that uh, do, deliver meals. There's people that uh, do virtually everything. And they save the hospital millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and they're highly valued by the, st- the paid staff. They're very, very much valued because they, I can take... Uh, I can take lab results up to the lab. I can free them up of that responsibility. Uh, people who say uh, they want to become a volunteer in emergency um, may not really understand what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. And so I would give them a questionnaire and they would say, uh, okay. And I would show, show them through the various uh, departments of the, uh, of, of, the vol- of the emergency area and look at the look on their face. And I would say that I would say that seventy-five uh, percent of the people, even that I train, uh, never would come back because they found it to be a little way more, way more mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. gruesome, or whatever they described it as, um, than they could tolerate. 
Uh, there's a lot of people that find it very difficult to, to deal with severe illness, um, blood, um, all, all kinds of things. Well, it's an emergency department and it's a level one trauma hospital. So right. it could be, it could be anything from a plane crash to, uh, to, to a, a, virtually anything to a, uh, a criminal act it, or it could be, it could be a bullet wound. It could be a, a stabbing. It could be, it could be virtually anything. So, right. um, these people, these people, we have, we knew this going in, uh, you know, they're all pumped up and it looks great and you get a bit nice uniform and, and so forth and so on. But do you really have the, do you really have what it takes to work in emergency? And I would say that seven out of 10 people did not have that, have what it, what it took. Uh, right. you, you gotta be a special, you gotta be a special breed of cat to work in emergency. You, you, you really, really do. Uh, you, it, it's a way different environment and you, you have to be able to separate yourself emotionally from what's going on, yet at the same time, never lose your empathy. Right. It sounds, it sounds uh, extremely challenging. And certainly people may, you know, find uh, getting into it that it really is more than they had anticipated. And maybe for those folks uh, trying something else, like working in a nursing home, um, working in, you know, in, in social services or, you know, working you know, with the homeless, working in shelters, that kind of thing may be more appropriate. Everyone has uh, their strengths. And certainly it sounds like uh, the kind of work that you have done, the volunteering you've done, and the people you did it with are definitely, definitely a special breed of cat, as you say. Very, very special breed. I, I think this has been extremely interesting, very insightful and inspiring. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show today and, and just opening up a whole world to me and to our listeners. The, the pillars, I really do believe, of, of our civilization have to do with how we care for one another. And uh, you have exemplified this in your volunteering by, by, as you say, offering a blanket or a chicken salad sandwich. And that form of care can really make a difference. This has been great. Thank you so much. Please join me every week for new ideas and uh, let's share these secrets together. Shalom. I'm Shmuel Bowman. In the Beginning is produced by Sacred Scrolls. You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts or Amazon Music. If you have any questions or comments, please be in touch through our website at sacredscrolls.net. Thank you for listening.